Welcome to Leadership Web, a podcast series from the University of Arkansas that exposes listeners to a wide range of perspectives on leadership. Through interviews with current leaders, Leadership Web strives to provide tools for you to either begin building your own or continue improving your existing leadership framework. We believe that there is no one single path to successful leadership, but that we can all learn from each other on our own leadership journeys. Today, Dean John English and Associate Dean Brian Hill are joined by Pam McGinnis, the President of Global Marketing at Phillips 66. Her top five values are integrity, reliability, accountability, working hard, and inclusion. Ms. McGinnis was the commencement speaker at the spring 2019 College of Engineering ceremony. You can listen to her commencement speech at the end of the Leadership Web conversation. It's indeed our pleasure to have Pam McGinnis here today, and I've been thrilled to work by her side for the last few years and enroll as a member of our advisory council. I'm also joined by uh, Dr. Brian Hill. Brian serves as Associate Dean for Student Success in the College of Engineering. So Brian will be joining me and interviewing Pam in view of her experiences and just insights on leadership. And Pam is an alumnus of the University of Arkansas, an industrial engineering graduate, and actually from Northwest Arkansas, hails out of her roots. And, uh, and with all that's given Pam an interesting background to become the president of global marketing at Phillips 66. Pam has over 27 years of experience in the oil and gas industry and very involved. She serves on the advisory council with us in the College of Engineering and has been faithfully joining in there and giving guidance on everything from curriculum to uh, the future of the college and so valuable input in view of where the college is trying to go. Personally, Pam's got a couple kids at home and busy raising those, and so it'll be interesting even if we can tweak out some of those life-work balance issues that I know you all struggle with, Pam, and covering having youngsters at home and, and obviously a very demanding job. And I think that some of our students who may be listening to this podcast may think about what it might be like to be a busy mom and busy at work, busy at home, and balancing everything, and so uh, I know that that will be of great interest. And uh, so, Pam, thank you for being here today. Oh, thanks, John. I'm certainly happy to be here and hope I can give you a little bit of information and just share, you know, what I've learned and, and what I think I know at this point. Well, thank you for being here. In preparation for this podcast, we, we've asked Pam for her core values that she lives by and guide her in, in her everything she does. And Pam, one of the things we're finding in this podcast that integrity is, it seems to be at the heartbeat of so many effective leaders. And so I guess to start this off, we'd be interested in knowing how did you resolve that integrity was so key in your, in your career? Maybe they're your roots back in Tawny Town is something you learned as you move through your career. Just give us insights on how you got to that point. Sure. I, I would say that it took me uh, many years to arrive at the word integrity uh, as a core value. And if I go back and I think about growing up as a kid, small town, my dad was a blue collar worker and we raised, uh, we had a chicken farm. And so all of us had to be very hardworking uh, and contribute to the farm and 
what needed to be done. And as, as I walked sort of side by side with my dad, he would talk about a couple of things. He would talk about work hard mm-hmm. and be willing to do whatever you need to do, you know, to provide for your family was the example he left. But, but always be true. And if you're doing something, it's worth doing right. Uh, and so that was sort of an early influence uh, on me and listening to him. And as I became a supervisor for the first time, I think I was about 19, his advice to me was never ask anyone to do anything you wouldn't do yourself. And so those hardworking and never ask anyone to do anything you wouldn't do yourself. In other words, don't expect someone to do something if you're not willing to do it. Uh, we're sort of two, you know, very real, you know, very uh, small town, very blue collar ways of thinking about things. And those to me were the foundation of what integrity really is. And today I define integrity for me as doing the right thing, even if it's hard or even if it hurts, and always being courageous, you know, over doing what's easy or fun or fast. Take the time, you know, to do the right thing. Uh, and that is really the way that's manifested in me as a leader yeah. in, in the organization. I think that's outstanding. And I, uh, I think we can all relate the courage is sometimes necessary to choose the right thing. And it's got to come from a position of caring for people, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, first and foremost, as a, as a leader, you have the responsibility for all of the people in the organization. And you need to be an example, you know, the right example uh, for people. And the only way you can do that, you know, is to be very real and understand what's happening with people. You have to have the context in order to know what the right thing is many times. As a leader, you have the responsibility for all of those people. It's no different, really, than being a parent. You have the responsibility for your family or for your children, and you take that responsibility very seriously. It's very real to you. And when you're in the workplace, it's really no different. You've got the livelihoods of however many people that work for you. Well, it seems like that fits right into the next core value you list, and that's reliability. And I suspect you're saying reliability from a personal viewpoint. And, or you may be talking about reliability in view of technology. Maybe you can explain to us how that fits into your everyday operation. And since primary population that will be listening to this podcast may be students, give us some examples of not necessarily maybe mistakes you've made, but where the pitfalls might be you could really blow it in front of your manager or your executive team in view of this. Because I think this is a really, this is one that's not come out for many interviewee, and I'm, I'm keenly interested in seeing maybe some guidance for people hearing how reliability is so important. Well, for me, it's very well connected to integrity, but just a little bit different. And when I talk about reliability is from that sort of personal standpoint as opposed to a technological standpoint, you can count on me to do what I say I'm going to do every time. And if I can't, I'm going to tell you. And we'll figure out the next thing to do. I think that I live that in my personal life and I live that at work. You know, I think following through on your commitments that you make to people 
is one of the best ways to create relationship and is the best way to create trust. And trust is really the foundation for the best relationships you have. Just think about the person you trust the most, right? They're reliable. They're gonna do what they say they're going to do. And for me, it's so important. And there's, a, there's always a flip side to these things. There's always the sort of negative side of these things. And so for me, reliability at home uh, means that I'll sacrifice myself. I don't go exercise because I'm trying to make sure that uh, you know, the kids get where they need to go or you know, because reliability is important. I'm going to help other people get what they need. And at, at work, it's the same sort of thing. I'll sacrifice my own career uh, or opportunities to make sure someone else has, you know, the opportunity to, to shine, to show what they can do if I feel like that person needs that, you know, for their own development. And that's, to me, that's all about reliability. That's about, you know, following through on commitments and being there for people and helping people take it, you know, to the next level. Have there been times when you've had to pick the family, kids or spouse, over maybe work? <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, I've, I, I talk about this a lot. I use a little bit different word around work-life balance. I call it life balance yeah. because, you know, work is part of life. And I think you, at different points in your life, you're going to lean one way or the other. And that's a deeply personal thing. I think work-life balance or life balance is really personal. And so I can't project onto someone else what I think good work-life balance is, and they shouldn't project on me what that is uh, either, but we all have to make those choices. If you have a spouse, you know, significant other, or children, or aging parents, or sick family members, you are going to have to make some of those choices between what you're doing in a given 24-hour day, and you will always have to make those trade-offs, and the trade-offs are personal. And so I make trade-offs today that are different than I made 20 years ago when I started my career. My trade-offs 20 years ago were working an 80-hour week to make a name for myself, get my reputation solid at work, and the trade-off of the personal life was, you know, I didn't get to go out and party uh, as much as I might want to, right? But uh, today, those trade-offs are very different. I have two small children and sizable job and some responsibilities here, and I make those trade-offs. Every Friday I take my kids to school. I come to work a little bit later and I'll take whatever downside comes along with that because it's important to me to be able to do that at least one time a week. So we all do it. We all have to make those trade-offs. I could travel every day in this job. It would be great. I love to travel. I could travel every day and I could go see customers and I could do all of those things, but I choose not to do that so I can be home you know, with my kids. I still travel quite a lot. But I do only what I think is most important to do. Yep. I'm more selective about what I do. And I make the most out of the time when I'm away for work's sake. And I make the most time out of the time that I'm home, you know, for my personal life's sake. That's outstanding. I, well stated. And it's a personal thing. It's a personal call on where you are today. And it might be different. That's a great point. I think that is wonderful. I know also in, you have integrity and reliability. You've also listed accountability, Pam. So uh, can you just enlighten us on that and maybe examples of in your career where that's been so important and it's tied into doing the right thing, but also 
I think you have a great perspective on what accountability means to you. Sure. I think, you know, all, all three of these values are very intertwined and mm-hmm. linked, have their own piece. For me, accountability, and I try to sum it up, is own it. You know, whatever it is, own it. If I have a responsibility to fulfill and it's my job to do that, I need to own doing that yeah. and getting it done, whatever it takes uh, to get that done. And I expect others to do it too. I get most frustrated when I work with people that don't have at least some level uh, of accountability around getting something done, an assignment, a project, a timeline. And especially if you work in a team, many students have to work in project teams and you're relying on other people to get things done. It's no different when you're in the work world and it doesn't matter what level you are, you're gonna work in teams and have to rely on other people and there's nothing more frustrating than when you're the person who feels like, really feels accountable to, to own it and you have other people who don't feel the same level of accountability. It can be very frustrating. Absolutely. And so for me, it is a core value, uh, own it. And I'll give you an example of something that's a little different than that. I think it's also important that when you screw something up, uh, that you own that too. It's not just you know own getting a project done, but when you do something you shouldn't have done said something you shouldn't have said you need to own that and you need to go you know i say make amends go apologize and it doesn't matter if you're the president of marketing or what job you're in if you do something like that you need to own that and i think that kind of goes back to the trust thing i talked about earlier it actually creates more trust in people when you can own your mistakes and and be accountable to those mistakes and fix it. Uh, it's fine to make a mistake once, but don't make it again or work on it. And a recent example I have is one of my direct reports. And I, I was uh, trying to understand our financial results, and I'd been asking for better description of our financial results and over and over and over again, and I wasn't getting you know, what I wanted. Uh, and my finance manager was in my office, and I was throwing a little tantrum, and why am I getting this? I'm so tired of, you know, just really complaining and being not a nice person. And she finally said to me, it feels like you're attacking me. And I stopped and I said, well, that's not really what I intend to do here. I completely understand why you would say that, you know, I'm just frustrated, right? So we parted ways that day and she went back to her office and I did what I needed to do and thought about it, kept thinking about it, went home and slept on it. And the next morning, the first thing I did when I came to the office was walk to her office and sat down and said, I want to apologize. And I was out of line. I am frustrated, but I should not have acted like that. And I apologize and it won't happen again. And our relationship changed on that day. We had a stronger relationship on that day because I was willing to go over there and say, you know, I was a fool. I shouldn't have acted like that. You know, I was throwing a little tantrum and acting like, you know, not the person I want to be. Uh, It didn't change the fact that we needed to get what I needed or wanted, but I didn't have to act that way. And so part of my core values are when I do something like that, I'm going to own that too. And I, I want everyone to own that. And I want people to call me on it, just like she did. You you know? like that, do you feel like that built trust within 
your working relationship? Oh, absolutely. Right? I mean, every one of these examples of mistakes or something you do, you wish you wouldn't have done, if you just think about it in reverse, right? What if the tables were turned? What would you want to have happen? You know, it doesn't matter if it's a supervisor, an employee, or it's two peers, or we're all human beings and we would like to be treated that way. And it's a, it creates a huge amount of goodwill or trust foundation to know that first it's okay to call me on my bad behavior and second you can know that I'm gonna I'm gonna own up to it. At the risk of getting too personal and say declare this a foul, <laughs> but what is behind Pam McGinnis? Because you're talking about taking the mother load of pride and gulping it. What's behind Pam McGinnis that gives you the ability to do that, Pam? Well, I think years of not not doing it, probably, is <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the most wow. honest answer to that. I think that when I was younger, I had a, a pretty hot temper, quick to react, and uh, feel like, I mean, you know, behave more like a victim, probably. Like, you know, my no one could possibly have life as rough as I have it, you know, sort of uh, mentality. And, uh, you know, as you get older, you realize, oh, you're just one of many <laughs> who have, uh, you know, had different types of tough life or whatever, and just learning. And I, I'm a reader and sort of a, a studier of leadership and good leadership behaviors. And I had a really good role model when I was probably uh, only about 10 years into my career. I had a great role model, a female high-level manager in our company, which was extremely rare uh, at that point in time. And she took me in as a, as a mentee. She could see the rough, uh, you know, that maybe she could polish up and maybe I could, I could, you know, smooth out some of those rough edges. And I think just watching her, listening to her advice, listening to how she, and watching how she reacted in situations, and because I respected and trusted her, I could listen to the feedback. And over the course of my career, I've had two or three people who've been very influential because I knew they cared about me as a person. There's really three. I would say three people in my entire career, and I've met a lot of people, that I knew were out for my best interest, that cared about me, and they were willing to give me honest, constructive feedback. Uh, and the theme across all three of those, sort of along these lines, and it was, you know, ease up, you know, don't, you don't have to run over people, you know, just ease up a little bit. And it took, it took me a little while to internalize that, and then as I've sort of matured as a leader, and you, the higher you get in the organization, the more you have to become a cheerleader because you're not in the front line doing the work and you need to empower people to do that. So the more you, you move up there, you have to really think about your influence in the organization and having a hot-tempered person who will can cut you off at the knees with a remark is probably not gonna be the most effective person at that, at that higher level. So I think just over time learning you know, a more effective way to talk to people and relate with people was, was really what happened. Your other leadership, important leadership values, you talk about working hard, and we talked a little bit about it earlier, about the 80-hour days, and that had an impact 
but then little by little you're able to cut back and realize what was really important and how to manage your time. Yeah, I mean, I would still work an 80-hour week if I needed to. So there's still that, and I wouldn't ask anybody to work an 80-hour week if I wasn't willing to roll up my sleeves and work right alongside them. So growing up, maybe we weren't poor, but we didn't have a lot. And I have seven brothers and sisters, so there were a lot of mouths to feed around our house, and we all like to eat a lot. Uh, and so you didn't have any choice. It was just a part of life that you... We're a working family, a family of doers. And from on the weekend, it's planting and tilling the garden to during, you know, after school, you're going to work in the chicken house and do what you need to do there that was just a part of life. And so we grew up doing and working as a way of relating and attaching. Uh, our attachment came through working side by side. One of the fondest memories I have of, of uh my father is, was building a fence when I was a kid. And I remember the moments like they were yesterday because we were working side by side and that's the way we related to each other. That's the way we expressed love for each other and our family and we're family of doers. Uh, and so hard work was just sort of part of our core, part of who we were. So I didn't really know how to do any different than that. Um, when I started working, it was just, just work hard, you know, and I didn't really know why. But it was, you know, just work hard, work harder than everybody else to try to climb up from where I felt like we were financially. You know, I wanted to do better for myself. I wanted to not feel like I couldn't have something if I wanted or needed it. Uh, and so I continued to work hard along those lines. And some people would say probably workaholic, but it was all about that core belief or thread in our family. You relate through work. And so... I didn't. I never felt like I was a workaholic. I felt like I was doing what, you know, what people do. And it made me pretty successful. My people noticed that I worked hard and could get a lot of things done. And, uh, and that was important, you know, at that, that point in time. I, I do attribute all that to my dad, but it's, um, you know, it was just a way of life for us. And, you know, to Conoco at the time was the, the first company until we evolved into where we are today. You know, it was also part of the values of that company. I sort of stumbled into it. Very Midwestern roots and, you know, hardworking and caring about the people that you're with, working side by side with people. And so that the cultures sort of matched. I was lucky enough to just fall into that when I got out of college. And I think for me, that was just part of who I was. And it wasn't really about being a workaholic. It was about learning that aspect and then learning that hard work means different things as you move through your career i still would say i work hard i think people who see me at work would say pam works really hard i think i work not nearly as hard as i used to uh, i think i work smarter i think i balance a lot juggle a lot of things so that when i am here, I have to be super productive and kind of every minute, and so that's what people see. Uh, when I'm at work, they see me being super productive in the, in the time that I'm here, but now I cut it off at a, at a certain point of time and go spend the time with the family. So just a different perspective on working hard as you go through life. So talking about that life balance, you have two young kids, and you, your job requires you to travel sometimes internationally for, for work. How do y'all balance that with your spouse of 
when you're gone, somebody else is taking care of the kids. And when yeah. you get back... Yeah, I'm full on mom the day I get back. There's no doubt about that. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I've got a terrific spouse and two beautiful kids. And we started our family really late. Uh, so my kids are close to five. They're four and a half and almost five. Uh, and so some young kids for this point in our lives and a different story for a different day. But when I do travel, it's extremely tough. And uh, we're blessed enough to be able to have some family that can come into town. They don't live here in town with us, but they, they come in and try to help fill in some of the gaps. And my spouse is really supportive and takes on the extra burden when I'm not here. And we, you know, we can afford some help, so we also get a little bit of other help with that. But it takes a toll. Our son, he's almost five, and this trip I took about a week ago was the first time he slept all night for every night I was gone. So there's a, there's a huge burden and sleepless night when I'm not here, and I have to carry that guilt with me when I go travel. Uh, and I get to... Uh, come home and be tired from traveling and the first thing I need to do is act like I'm not a bit tired and uh, take the reins and and you know let their other mom go off and you know have some of her own time and step right into it and I've had a lot of good uh, advice from peers who, who've experienced this some time back in their career to, to say believe me you have the easy job so uh, when you come home you need to uh, make sure that you express that you know you have the easiest end of this and um, so I've been trying to do that but without a supportive spouse who's willing to make some sacrifices too you know it wouldn't be it wouldn't be possible I want to use the word miserable but maybe that's too strong but it would be a really difficult life if I didn't feel like I had that support and vice versa as she works full-time too and so we do a lot of trading off the life balance would be much more difficult if we didn't have the connection we have and the willingness to help each other, you know, through those times. We've gone through a discussion with uh, integrity, reliability, accountability, working hard, and took chased a few rabbits down the holes in there. I appreciate you doing that. Obviously, Brian and I both know about your commitment on your fifth core value, inclusion. And so we're just keenly interested. If we have one common goal at the University of Arkansas is moving towards a more inclusive environment, celebrating the reality of what it is when we respect everybody for who they are, what they bring to the table, and have the, just the dignity and the respect that the human race deserves. And, uh, and then what results come out of that. So I'm just, just go with it, Pam, and tell us, you know, whatever your heart is speaking on this night, just... I think that our, our listeners would like to hear from you on this. I could probably talk about inclusion <laughs> for a day and case. a half. But yeah. um, so for me, inclusion is most simply put, inclusion is about creating an environment where everyone feels like they belong. Mm. And that's a really easy thing to say and a really hard thing to pull off. And you know, if you if you just think about that, if you feel like you belong, then you're gonna be willing to share what you know. You're gonna be willing to be vulnerable and take risks. You're gonna be willing to ask the dumb question. You're gonna be willing to be creative and come up with ideas 
be more innovative because it's safe. Because you can trust the people around the table, because you belong. And that is what is going to transform industry. If we can just capture the power of creating a sense of belonging for everyone, if you work at Phillips 66 or if you're at the University of Arkansas, if you're at any other place, the most successful companies are the companies that have the ability to be innovative. You cannot be innovative if people don't feel like they belong and they can be vulnerable and share. Ask questions, right? Say they don't know. Right? Brainstorm the wackiest thing you've ever thought of because nobody's going to make fun of you, right? Because you belong and everybody else belongs, right? And we have that same value for everyone. And it doesn't matter who you are, yeah. right? It's not about being male or female or... You know, it's not. It's about a sense of belonging. Every individual is unique. Everyone has their thing. Everyone has their background. Everyone has their baggage, their childhood, their whatever. They went through life. And we have to make space for all of those. And if we can do that, we're working on that right now at Phillips 66, trying to create a more inclusive workplace. Why? Because we think it's going to create competitive advantage. And if our people feel like they can bring their whole self, all of who they are, to work and be respected and be listened to and heard and valued, I think they're going to they're going to give us 110, 120-150% of their effort. They're going to be motivated. They're going to take on extra projects. They're going to do great work. They're going to create better business results. Like, all of those things go, go right hand in hand. And it's very, very hard to do. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well stated. I, uh, man, that's a great message, Pam. Thank you. And uh, it's an impossible possible task <laughs> I uh, oh my gosh I can so empathize on that dream and that scope and what that could mean if, if, if regardless of the organization if we could harmonize in that way everybody brings their own baggage everybody brings their own lives men or women yeah we're, we're working wow. on here is trying to just take this in little pieces because that can be very overwhelming but it really is where the language we're trying to use here is create the safe space as a leader, a supervisor, create a safe space for people to bring who they are. You can't require them to bring their whole self, sort of a violation, right? But create the safe space for others to bring anything they need to talk about or do or be uh, create that space and be willing to bring your whole self. Yeah. And as a leader, you have a responsibility to be first. As a as the leader of this organization, it was my job to tell my story to the organization so that they could see that it's safe. It doesn't matter what your story is. It's your story. And when you're courageous enough to share who you are, and why you think the way you think, other people don't see that as weakness. They see that as strength and courage. And so as the leader, you have to go first. 
and you if you go vulnerable. first, you yeah. have to be vulnerable. We try not to use that word because it sounds scary, but, yeah. but as a leader, you do that. And nobody thinks of that as that people would describe that as courageous, brave. I shared my story with my leadership team a, a couple of years ago as a way of opening this door to we need to really work on inclusion. And the only feedback I got was that was very brave. Thank you for sharing that. I had no idea that's who you were. I had no idea that's where you came from. I had no idea. And the tone and the feel in the room of that three-day leadership summit changed from that moment forward. And it was a simple story. It's not hard to tell. But I had never done it before. I never talked about where I came from, how I feel when I'm you know, sitting in this role as the chicken farmer's daughter from rural Arkansas, right? Um, and it, it, it can make you, it can rock you back if you let it. But sharing that story took, took the edge off the organization. I, it was a really important thing to do. And I think leaders have to know they have to go first. And they have to be real and genuine. If you're not ready to do it, don't do it. But that's what it takes. And then at the other, by the same token, we're all leaders. Like we all control our own lives. We're all in charge. We're the CEO of our life, and we need to own that too. Very, very good. Um, you know, I was finished up graduate school about the time you were going into school. So I, it was different then, in view of women in engineering, wasn't it, Pam? Oh, sure. I, I guess I want to probe a little bit on the challenges you faced as maybe a high schooler, a college student, hitting the market whenever there probably weren't a whole lot of women around you, and how you have overcome that. And obviously we see you engaged heavily with like SWE. We know you have a heart for women in engineering. And so, you know, it's, it's again kind of like that last question, have at it. <laughs> well, I was just naive enough to not know what I was really getting myself into. So, which, you know, ignorance is bliss many times. But uh, what I did know is that I, I loved math in the junior high, high school. I just loved it. Uh, it was like drinking fruit juice. I just loved it. And I always thought I wanted to be a school teacher and because that was the only thing I could see visually in front of my face and didn't have a lot of... Uh, resources within my family who understood what I needed to be doing as a high schooler to to get into college and I long story short stumbled across a counselor who said are you going to college and I said I'd like to and she's like well you're graduating from high school in a couple of months you probably ought to get after it and uh, she helped me kind of get into the University of Arkansas and and she, was, she asked me what I want to do. I said, school teaching. She goes, no, 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 you're going to be an engineer. And uh, here, let me show you how to fill out the application. So I was completely ignorant uh, about the uh, limitations of women in engineering. From a home life, having parents that are Depression-era uh, parents, you know, they're from the, the greatest generation, not even the baby boomers. My, my older siblings are baby boomers, so... In, in a long line of eight kids, you know, I'm towards the tail end uh, of that. And my, my parents didn't, didn't have any idea, probably not even about men being engineers at that point in time, but, but, uh, but certainly not women. And they were trying to be very protective of me and, and uh, encouraging me to do other things besides engineering. 
Uh, funny story. My mother told me I should make sure I took uh, shorthand um, when I was in high school as I wanted to take another math elective class and she encouraged me to take shorthand instead. And it's just a, it's just a representation of that generation and, and how, how they viewed women and, and men, and I didn't, I was too naive to really get that at the time either. I arrive on campus, uh, and you know, I'm in engineering school, and I'm not seeing a lot of people who look like me <laughs> around, and I think there were, there were three of us. I was in industrial engineering, so that was a little bit more heavily populated with women. There were three of us, and uh, we kind of, you know, we're like the three musketeers, you know, going everywhere together. And it didn't even really occur to me then that what a steep, steep road that was. And I, I think for me it was still, it was very much the ignorance is bliss and didn't understand that was gonna be an extra challenge for me. It was really when I got ready to, to get out into the workplace and, and took the job I did take that I first became aware of how lonely a place it could be. Um, there were, was hired into a management training program and we had an orientation class a couple of months into my new job and all of these trainees from all over the country came to the Houston to the central office and, and there, were, there were two other women there amongst the 15 or so people that were just uh, hired on and so I didn't feel totally alone. They didn't, they weren't in the same location I was in, so I never saw them really again after that. Uh, but this, this training program was pretty brutal. It was look to your left, look to your right, they'll both be gone in the next six months. And if you're the last guy standing, then you'll still have a job and that'll be, you'll be happy about that and it'll be great. So that was the first time it started to occur to me that there's really mostly just men here. Uh, and the first time I went, traveled on a trip, went to this, field site and they pulled out the visitor Nomex to put on, flame retardant coveralls to put on, and they literally were so long that they completely covered my shoe and were dragging behind me. I realized that they don't even have the right equipment for women. You know, there's not even the right tools for women. And I started, you know, just over time, you just pick up a few more, a few more of these things. and. Luckily, I, I remained naive through everything enough that I just kept on going. And, but, it, but there were a few moments in my career where I remember looking around the table, one particular moment, I had been with a company about five years, and I was the only person from my company on this big joint venture project, and I was working as an engineer, as a project manager, and I was sitting around this big table full of engineers from an outside engineering firm and from our partner company that was doing this, and there must have been 30 people around this table and we were talking about a design of a pump station for, for a terminal and what sort of equipment we should put in. And I was speaking on behalf of my company and I remember stopping, he was saying what I needed to say about what I thought we should do and just looking around the room, it was all men. I was the only person representing my company. I was the only woman and it took my breath away. Like it was the first moment I thought, well, they could just totally ignore me if they just chose to. Hmm. And it shook me for a minute. And then from then I just had a little bit more awareness about the struggles 
of women in this industry because it's still very male dominated industry and the fact that you just have to work harder that's just it you just have to work harder because there are biases that you can't even see and we all have them we all have unconscious bias and we don't even know we're acting in a biased way until we decide we're going to try to be more aware of that and it uh, it just manifested our company it manifested as you just have to work harder and you have to be really careful what you say if I say the exact same words that come out of a man's mouth I am not going to get the same reaction that a man gets and that's still true today and you just no reason to have a chip on your shoulder about that it just is like the world is full of bias and we all have that and it's important to just be savvy to understand that that's out there understand and accept um, what you have to do and then try to change it for the next generation that's all we can do right and that's why I'm so passionate about inclusion because I just think those two things you know are very interrelated uh, and we we still struggle today even though we're trying to be more progressive, we struggle to not surround ourselves with people that are just like us. Every one of us does that. Well, that was outstanding. Pam, thank you for your time today. We appreciate you uh, taking part of this uh, podcast series. And, and Brian, thank you for joining us today. And with that, thank you again. You bet. Thank you. Happy to do it. Thank you for joining Leadership Web today. Ms. McGinnis was the commencement speaker at the Spring 2019 College of Engineering Ceremony. You can listen to her commencement speech in just a couple of seconds at the end of this podcast. Please join Leadership Web in two weeks as we explore another leader's leadership journey. Also, follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn by searching Leadership Web. It's now my great honor to welcome our 2019 commencement speaker, Ms. Pam McGinnis. Pam is the president of global marketing at Phillips 66. She has more than 28, hour, 28 years of experience in the oil and gas industry. Prior to assuming her current position, Pam was the chief procurement officer and has held a variety of leadership positions across the company, including the commercial supply and trading, marine shipping, and truck and rail transportation. After joining Conoco in 1991 through the Pipeline and Transportation Management Program, she held positions in operations and maintenance engineering, capital project man management, business development, marketing, and corporate planning. Pam is a member of the University of Arkansas College of Engineering Advisory Council and a member of the Board of Directors for the Fuels Institute. She is a global sponsor for the Phillips 66 Hispanic Network, and she is also serving as the chairman of the board for the Houston area Habitat on Humanity. A native of Springdale, Arkansas, Pam earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Industrial Engineering from the University of Arkansas in 1990. Pam and her wife, Carissa, have two children and live in Houston, Texas. Please help me in welcoming Ms. Pam McGinnis, my friend. Well, thank you, Dean English and the College of Engineering uh, for inviting me to speak today to this exceptional graduating class. I'm really honored to be back. No matter how many years go by, the memories of college stick with you. Appreciate the time you had here, and you'll look back on the University of Arkansas with pride, gratitude, and happiness. 
Your experiences here have shaped you for the rest of your life. Take a moment to pause and reflect on that because life is about to come at you hard and fast, and it's going to take some unexpected turns. You see, I never expected to be standing here today. I was raised on a small chicken farm just a few miles from here. I didn't have what most people consider that typical college experience, because going to college wasn't necessarily a natural path for me. You see, I didn't really even know how to apply, and if a counselor hadn't caught me at the last moment, I'm not sure I would have even made it to the door. And so it was a struggle. I worked several jobs to pay my way. I caught sleep on the couch in the engineering lounge when I could. And most days, I went to class still dirty from work. Never in my wildest dreams did I expect to have the job I have today. But life is unexpected. It's unpredictable, and it's full of choices sometimes scary choices. But if you have the courage to make the bold choice, I think you'll find that life will lead you on a pretty incredible and rewarding journey. Each one of you knows the value of hard work or you would not be sitting here today. That's why you're now part of the less than 1% of people in the United States who are engineers. That's pretty incredible. Your hard work got you to this moment, and you have a solid foundation for great things to come. You can be successful being known as a hard worker. I did it for the first half of my career, working 80-hour weeks and trying to outrun the person next to me. But working hard is not the most important characteristic of a true leader. Today, I want to talk to you about two things that I think will be important to you as individuals, as leaders, but more importantly, as human beings. And those two things are being courageous and bringing your whole self into everything that you do. I didn't always have courage, especially early in my career. I felt like I needed to prove that I was more than just that farm kid from Arkansas. Growing up with seven brothers and sisters, we were a hard-working family, a family of doers. One of the fondest memories I have of my father is building a fence with him when I was just a little kid. Working hard side by side, that's how we related to each other. So when I started my career, what did I do? I worked hard, and it worked. But as I began to lead people, I realized I needed to think bigger, that it's about courage and being courageous enough to lead by example. I needed to find the courage to share the different sides of myself, sides that I had hidden away because I was too scared to share who I was for fear that it would be seen as weakness or be a career limiter. As a leader, your team needs to know that you care, that you get them, 
that there's an environment for them to feel safe, seen, heard, and respected. That you trust them to do their jobs, that you have their back, and that you have the courage to do the right thing, even if it's hard. The soldier marching into battle has courage. The firefighter running into a burning building has courage. The employee who speaks up and challenges the status quo has courage. And the leader who circles back and apologizes for their own mistakes has courage. But how do you find the courage to lead when times get tough? How do you find the strength to make the bold decision? You must gain clarity on what you hold most important, your values. What is it buried deep in your gut that guides you, consciously or unconsciously? Is it kindness? Is it honesty, community? Is it perseverance? I want to share a story with you about the time I started to discover and internalize my values. I was 41 years old, and my partner was diagnosed with terminal cancer. I knew I was going to walk that road with her, no matter what, even if it meant putting my career on the line. You see, I had a huge internal conflict. I hadn't yet come out at work, and I was afraid. I was terrified, in fact. I was going to be there for her, but that meant I had to put all fears aside about coming out and have the courage to reveal my whole self to my boss. I was able to do that because of my values of reliability, which means you can always count on me, and integrity, which means always doing the right thing. Those values guided me, and it was the right decision. It was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my entire life, even though it was extremely difficult. When you know your values and you live your values, you have what you need to be courageous, even in the toughest of challenges, personally or professionally. Some may say your generations lack courage, that you're entitled or want everything handed to you. I'm sure you're tired of those stereotypes. I know I am, because I find your generations inspiring and refreshing. At 92 million strong, millennials were previously the largest generation in U.S. history. And this year, Gen Z will surpass millennials as the most populous generation ever. Combined, your generations make up more than 50 percent of the workforce today. 50 percent. Half of the workforce today is less than 36 years old. That's powerful. And another thing, 54% of you either already have or want to start your own business. 
That absolutely shatters any stereotypes that your generations are lazy or entitled, and it fully embodies having courage. Do you realize how influential your generation can be? With technology and resources literally at your fingertips, with higher education readily available to you, the world is yours for the taking. You have the promise of being the next greatest generation. That's a lot to live up to. The greatest generation persevered through some of the most challenging times in our nation's history. They survived the poverty of the Great Depression. They fought in a global war that claimed more than 60 million lives. Post-war, they developed important social programs like Medicare and implemented technological achievements such as the interstate highway system, and the Apollo space missions. They put the greater good above their own self-interest, and they've made our lives infinitely better. That's courage. Now, sitting in front of me, you're part of the largest generation ever. You have the numbers. You have the momentum and you have the privilege of making a difference in our world. You better believe it's gonna take courage. Having courage is a foundation for the second thing I came to talk about today, and that is bringing your whole self into everything that you do. Some of you may be familiar with Fred Rogers, the creator of the revolutionary children's program, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, in the 1960s. If you don't know him, I know you have a smartphone in your pocket and you can just look him up. Fred Rogers was famous for taking controversial topics and bringing them to light in a way that children understood. I recently watched a documentary about him and I couldn't help but make comparisons between how he lived his life and the two things I came to talk about today. He stood up for what he believed in, and he lived his values every day. Fred Rogers was a leader. He had courage, and he brought his whole self into everything that he did. One of my favorite quotes from him is this. And I quote, in a way, you've already won in this world because you're the only one who can be you. Think about that quote. You have strengths the engineer sitting next, sitting next to you doesn't. You have valuable life lessons the engineer next to you doesn't. You have fears the engineer next to you doesn't because you're the only you. You have your own thoughts, ideas, beliefs, values. You have your own unique background. Maybe you're a first-generation college graduate. 
Maybe you're an immigrant and English isn't your first language. It doesn't matter what your story is, it's your story. Every part of who you are and where you came from makes you uniquely valuable in this world. And you're only fully valuable if you bring it all to the table every day, every part. It's about embracing all of who you are and all of its greatness, uniqueness, weakness, every part. And do you know the most important part about bringing your whole self? It's about creating a safe space for others to bring their whole selves too. It creates a way for them to feel belonging, it creates a connection. If people feel like they belong, they'll share what they know. They'll be willing to be vulnerable and take risks. They'll be willing to ask the dumb question. They'll share crazy ideas and unique perspectives because it feels safe. They trust the people around the table. They feel a connection to them. And connection breeds creativity and innovation. It's that type of inclusive, trusting environment that will transform industry and maybe even our world. Another great Fred Rogers quote sums up why it's important to create a space for others. He says, and I quote, as human beings, our job in life is to help people realize how rare and valuable each one of us really is. That each of us has something that's unique, something that no one else has or ever will have, something that's unique to all time. It's our job to encourage each other to discover that uniqueness and provide ways of developing its expression. Those are powerful words. And each word speaks to diversity and inclusion. That feeling of belonging, of inclusion, hasn't always been part of my experience, especially being one of the few women engineers in the oil and gas industry. I remember a time early in my career, I was working on a big project and I was sharing my ideas with this room full of engineers. And suddenly at that moment, I realized that not only was I the only representative from my company there, but I was the youngest person in the room and I was certainly the only female in the room. Suddenly, I felt alone. It took my breath away. At the time, I didn't really know what to make of that. It's somewhere deep in my gut. I knew it just didn't feel right. How awesome is it that you get to begin your careers with the doors opening for you to bring your whole self into the room? 
You're coming into the workforce at a unique time in history, a time when people are finally being afforded an opportunity at the table. Many companies are experiencing a culture shift because of your generations, because your generations see diversity as imperative for learning and innovation. Now it's your responsibility to actively work to keep those doors open for yourselves and for others. Better yet, you're engineers now, let's just remove the doors altogether and let's keep moving forward to a world of full inclusion for everyone. Congratulations again on this incredible accomplishment. As you start out in your careers, you're going to be eager. You're going to want to prove yourself. I certainly get that. But please, don't let that overpower your ability to create a sense of belonging for every person around you. Life is unexpected. Wherever your path leads you, use your values as your guide, and courage will never fail you. Bring all of who you are every day, and you may just find yourself doing something you never dreamed of or ever thought possible. You're part of the next greatest generation and I can't wait to see the amazing legacy you leave in this world. Congratulations. Thank you. Pam, thank you so much for being here with us today. And on behalf of the College of Engineering, we have a small token of our appreciation. Thank you.